Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with author, empathic mentor, and master trainer Jennifer Moore. Ever since she was a young child, she has been drawn to the extraordinary while seeking evidence of life's miracles and magic. Intuitive from the get-go, she experienced her first prophetic dream when she was just nine years old. She has been navigating that extrasensory awareness ever since. Jennifer is supporting intuitives, lightworkers, and creatives to use their abilities for good. She is also passionate about helping highly sensitive, empathic women. Enjoy this interview. So where are you coming out of right now? I am in Maine, just a little bit north of Portland. Okay. I, that's a part of the country and the world that I would love to get to someday. I hear it's really nice it is, up there. It is absolutely exquisite up here. It's a really, really beautiful place. And one of the reasons why I've always been convinced that it's that way is you've got to figure one of the most prolific authors ever in Stephen King has always made Maine his home. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and his style. I mean, it's, it's very satisfying, actually, watching, watching his, um, watching, you know, reading his books and watching movies and series that are based on him because he really does understand the weird, quirky nature of Maine. And so there's just sort of a lot of kind of nods to our culture in, uh, in, in many of his, many of his things. Yeah, I get that sense, absolutely. So, Jennifer, thank you again, and I, I want to begin everything before we get into your life and who you are and where you've arrived at right now. I want to know over the last couple of years, we've gone through quite a time with this pandemic, and I'm curious how you made it through and how it changed you now that we're kind of coming out of it. Oh, that is such a huge, huge question. So, um, as you Probably, you may know, I, I'm, my specialty is working with highly sensitive empathic people, and I am, I identify as an empath myself. And so what that means is that I, like many of the people I work with, pick up the thoughts, the feelings, the energy, the sensations, all the stuff that is coming from the world around us. And this pandemic, especially the very beginning of it, was, um, and I, can I swear on your podcast or do I need to keep my language? Please do. No. Okay. You, it you was, be you. Yeah. It was, a, okay, it was a total shit show at the very beginning because I was constantly just getting knocked over by waves of terror, waves of fear, waves of uncertainty, waves of, oh my God. And I really had to double down on my self-care. I really had to double down also on um, looking at the ways that I was over-identifying with things that were not going on for me. And I also really had to make the decision to totally curate my exposure to the outside world in a way that allowed me to not been out on a regular basis. And to sort of add, I guess, I don't know, insult to injury, the week we went into lockdown here in Maine, we, like our cat, our 18-year-old cat who was, had lived a very good long life, decided it was her time. And so we, you know, drove to the vet with our masks and dropped our cat off for the very last time 
in the parking lot at the veterinarian's office and basically handed her over to the vet from our car. And uh, they, they sort of gave her a sedative, brought her back out and let us cuddle with her for a few minutes and then basically like gave her the secondary injection and let her go. And so that was the very beginning of the pandemic for us was like, saying goodbye to our cat in this extremely bizarre way. And a couple months later in May, my father died from COVID um, in a memory care unit where nobody could come to see him, where basically he was completely in quarantine. Now, my dad had been struggling with dementia for quite a while, so we had already really grieved the loss of him. We had really, you know, he had been gone for quite a while. So... It, that part of it was oddly like we were really prepared for it. But the thing we were not prepared for as a family was not being able to gather, not being able to connect, not being able to go and say goodbye to him because at that point in time, nobody knew anything and everybody was being extremely cautious for very good reasons. And so it really influenced my sense of you know, what was what, it was infuriating to witness people who were basically saying that this wasn't real when I could, you know, and, and I was kind of like, you know, you know, like walking into a store with a mask on or something, and if anybody was going to challenge me, I was like, oh, just you wait. Like, I'm kind of like, you know, you, you'll get an earful from me. But what this really did for me was that it gave me an unflappable sense of my own boundaries and realizing that what, what this was for me was really honoring my terms and not suck, getting sucked into people-pleasing or social pressure or doing any of the things that I did not feel comfortable doing. And what I would say what I've witnessed for myself and for many of my clients over the last two and a half years is that a big piece of the lesson in this pandemic has been about boundaries and has been about doing what is true and right and um, sovereign for us as individuals and within our life as opposed to just going along to get along. And so there have been a lot of gifts that I've really received from this pandemic. Um, you know, I mean, it certainly has been heartbreaking to watch the devastation that it has done to our country, that it is that, you know, the ways that it has driven a further wedge between different ideologies in this country and the ways that it's really brought up even more polarization. And there have been, you know, I mean, I think that there are losses that we will be grieving and we will be processing for a very, very long time. And I also think that it has given us certain gifts, that it has shown us that we don't have to be participating in the hustle and the rat race the way that we thought we needed to. It's allowed us to place home as a higher value. And to really restructure and reprioritize our lives. Now, I know that this is not the case for absolutely everybody and that 
there is a level of privilege that I am speaking from that allowed me. I mean, I was already running a business online. I already had the infrastructure set up. For me, the lifestyle change was not that dramatic because I was already doing, I was already self-employed. I was already working a business virtually. And so those kinds of changes were not as jarring to me as they were to, I think, a lot of people. And I also was not at the mercy of, uh, you know, like I, I'm not a school teacher who is suddenly being told, you know, you have to come back to work. And I do think when I'm talking to a number of people that the way that it gave us a taste of what it's like to slow down our life, the way that it gave us an opportunity to reconsider and restructure and reprioritize really has been one of the most spectacular pieces of this. And I also really learned how to navigate my empathic overwhelm in a way and at a level that was substantially more robust and, and deeper than I had ever needed to or had to before. So long answer to a very big question. Yeah, well, and that really laid some groundwork. And while you were talking about that, it's interesting. There's a couple things that I, I was pulling from. My wife is an empath. I actually live with three generations of, of women, and they're all in the same boat. They're very energetically sensitive um, to row cards. You know, there's, there's a lot of things going on along those lines. And my wife's also a school teacher, we're mentioning going back. So there's a lot of this that, you know, from my end of it that I can totally relate to. But I'm curious about, you know, your childhood and how you got these initial feelings and, and, and kind of set yourself on the path to where you're at right now. Um, so I, I like you, you know, I come from a long line of what I call world-class off, world-class awfulizers, <laughs> people who have a capacity to both imagine the best possible futures, but also who have the capacity to imagine the worst case scenarios. And, um, I come from highly, come from other highly sensitive, intuitive people who were prone to a lot of anxiety, prone to a lot of worry, prone to a lot of concern, as well as, um, you know, on my mother's side of the family, like Irish Catholic immigrants with the trauma of the potato famine. And, uh, you know, they, my, fam my mom's family immigrated to Nova Scotia as fishermen, but just really lived, like, eked out hard existences. And so, and my mother is a big, my mother, my mother was a psychiatric nurse and a caregiver and somebody who really, really was incredibly sensitive, but also didn't necessarily have the vocabulary that I have. And so I, and then my dad's side of the family, not as emotional, you know, not necessarily as sensitive, but still very creative, like all artists and um, like very creative, very sort of magical in many ways. So I was born into a family where there was a lot of emotion, there was a lot of creativity, there was a lot of 
expression, and there was a lot of worry. And so I feel like some people, you know, there are people who say that empaths are born this way. I actually believe that some of us are born this way, and I definitely fit into that category. And then what I've also been seeing is that with this pandemic, a number of people are actually awakening to their sensitivity. But in my case, I'm one of those born empaths. And so I started to pick up on the thoughts, the feelings, the energy, the sensations of the world around me from a very early age. But the thing about being an empath, as you probably know, considering that you live with three generations of women who are sensitive, is that one of the biggest challenges that is different than being a psychic or different than being um, an intuitive or a medium is that where a psychic, a medium, and an intuitive is all pick, are all picking up information that they know that they're picking it up. They know it's coming from outside of themselves. The way that we experience information as empaths is that we experience it as if it is our own. And so instead of being like, wow, I'm feeling this sadness or I'm feeling this fear or I'm feeling this, you know, weird sensation in the pit of my stomach or I'm really worried or I, I'm, I'm sort of concerned for this thing, usually what happens is it's translated through our own filter. So it's like, oh, my stomach is hurting. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling sad. I'm really worried that I'm suddenly going to be sick with this weird illness and end up hospitalized. And so what is challenging is that we will often experience this sort of disorientation and uh, sense of discombobulation as if it is our own. And if you come from the kinds of world that I think many of us grew up in, which is if you're over, you know, that, that having intense feelings, at least in my family, was even though emotions were acknowledged, there was this kind of paradox of feelings in my family because it was like emotions kind of trumped everything where it was kind of like, stop the world, I have to get off, we're having a feeling here. Like that there was this sort of like emotions were sort of like this crisis. At the same time, there was also a lot of feeling intense feelings is wrong. And so I got messages from a very early age, which I've heard so many other empaths tell me about is messages of you're being too sensitive, you're overreacting, you've got an overactive imagination, you're taking it too personally, stop worrying about it, just let it go, just ignore it, don't think about it. And so because I was feeling so disoriented and out of sorts so much of the time, and I was being told, just let it go. I didn't know how to let it go. I didn't know how to relax about these things. I didn't know how to dial down the emotional intensity. So I formed the basically the only conclusion that I could form, which was that there was something wrong with me. And so by the time I was, you know, um, eight, nine years old, I was looking for ways to self-soothe. And so the two primary ways that I was self-soothing was through books, through reading, and through eating um, particularly sugar, like that I was finding that, that, that food became a comfort because it was 
it was for two reasons. One, it just was comforting, and two, it had a way of sort of dialing down the emotions and and giving me, you know, sort of trying and modulating them a bit. And so uh, I had my first prophetic dream at the age of nine, but as an empath, basically, I dreamed the night that my very first best friend's mother died from breast cancer, I dreamed my own mother died, as empaths are known to do. See, I didn't dream about her mom. I dreamed about mine. Um, but I knew it was prophetic, and I knew that there was something really significant to it. And that's really what kind of started me on the path of wanting to learn more about the paranormal, wanting to learn more about ESP, wanting to learn more about kind of how all this extrasensory stuff works. And so I started studying. I started looking. I started looking for answers. But to be completely honest, the thing that led me to finding solutions was the emotional anguish and a raging sugar addiction. I'm curious, you know, you, you're a support source for a lot of people, and you have to maintain a high level of strength, I would imagine. Uh, who would you consider mentors or heroes for you that inspire you to stay strong? Well, there are, I have a wonderful, wonderful circle of support and a network of people who are colleagues and who are mentors. And so I, and I've worked with a number of really amazing people. Um, you know, I could name people who I work with who you may or may not know of. Um, just, you know, like one of my dear mentors is um, Jade Barbie, who is a master trainer for, he's actually a master trainer of trainers, so he's my mentor for EFT International, because I am a, I'm one of the 118 master trainers um, to teach people how to facilitate EFT on the entire planet, and Jade is kind of like one of the real big, big foo-foo's in there, because he is, he's, he's the trainer of the trainers, or one of them. And so, like, Jade is one of, Jade is a mentor who always sort of helps me to keep perspective about my boundaries, about my professional ethics, about how to navigate sort of, you know, difficult situations. I was actually, had a call with him just the other day where we were talking about a situation with, um, a situation where there's a, uh, basically a kind of, uh, sort of like thing I need to point out to, to somebody where I need to kind of be like, what, what made you think that that was a good idea? <laughs> and the thing about him is that he just has such, you know, clarity and perspective and, and kind of just calm, sort of just the facts, sort of not, you know, like what, how about we approach this thing. And the thing about Jade as a mentor and the thing that I really love about Jade is that Jade is at his very core it's all about meeting people exactly where they are and not being invested in fixing, not being invested in uh, rescuing, not being invested in trying to force any kind of an agenda, but really trusting in the process, the healing process of just being present and witnessing what is going on for us. And so Jade is one of the people that I turn to when I'm calling. This came up, what am I going to do about it? And I just deeply, deeply, deeply appreciate his support. 
I have colleagues that I've been working with for many years who I swap sessions with and I trade trade experiences with and I just, you know, we, we kind of like throw ideas back and forth. I will say that one of the things that is in some ways that really is grounding is just getting reality checks from other highly sensitive people. And so just sort of being like, hey, did you get that weird rumble under your feet? Were you feeling this thing? Did you sense that this was going on? And there's something very, very helpful about knowing that, you know, like yeah, you talk to five people and four of them are feeling the same thing. That has been just incredibly helpful. And another mentor that I've been really appreciating is a woman named Joanna Hunter, who is a spiritual coach, spiritual business coach out of Scotland. And Joanna is just, for one thing, she's got a hysterical sense of humor, and it's just really delightfully funny and has a way of just sort of putting everything into perspective with humor and with, with sort of this lovely, she, she has this ability to both have a, have a very humorous and light touch, but at the same time, she packs a wallop. And so, you know, when I need a reality check, Joanna is somebody that I can get a reality check from, and I can also um, get an opportunity to see things from a different perspective. Because one of the things that I say often with my own clients is you can't read the label from the inside of a jar. And so my job is to read the label from the inside, you know, from the outside of the jar for people I work with. And my colleagues and mentors' job is to read the label from the outside of the jar for me. A couple other sort of, you know, inspirations, I wouldn't say they're mentors because I don't have a personal relationship with them, but a couple other inspirations are I really, really appreciate Glennon Doyle and the work that she is doing and the fact that she is what I love about her and I aspire to be as, as real as she is is that I just love how incredibly emotionally present and authentic she is and how willing she is to share her truth. And the same is true with um, Elizabeth Gilbert. I really appreciate her honesty, her sincerity, and also what a spectacular writer she is. And then also Brené Brown is another person that I really admire for really just, again, like having the willingness to show up at a deep level and just be emotionally present to, present to the depth of human experience. So if you have a dream tonight and you run into a younger version of yourself, say in your 20s, and you could give your younger version a piece of advice based on the wisdom you've gained living all this time, what would you say to your younger version? I think I, think I would say a couple things. I think the first thing I would say to her is, it's going to be okay, and you're going to be okay. Just hang in there. Just keep putting one foot in front of another, and it, you know, and just you're on the right track. Keep going, because I really think that one of the biggest challenges that I experienced when I was younger was an incredible amount of self-doubt and an incredible amount of sort of second-guessing myself. So I think that would be the very first thing I'd say to her. And then I think the next thing I would say is what other people think of you is just not that important. Like, stop trying to please everybody else. Stop trying to be the person that you think other people need you to be and focus on what makes you happy. And then the third thing I would say to her is repeat after me, not my circus, 
not my monkeys. And your poor planning does not constitute my emergency. And just really encouraging her to recognize that so often the stuff that she thought she had to fix, that she had to, to address, that she had to deal with, really wasn't her problem. And so I would really like support her in starting to divest from things that were not her job. And if I had a long conversation with her, the fourth thing that I would do is I would just basically start teaching her how to identify what was hers and what was not hers. And one of the really big questions that I learned for myself is when I start feeling out of sorts, particularly feeling off and I can't identify what is going on that I, I just am like, I, there's no reason why I'm feeling this way. I would, I would teach her to ask the one first question, which is, is this mine? Because so often learning how to identify or recognize, oh, I'm carrying stuff around that is not mine. That was for me one of the most significant things I needed to learn to do and was one of the most powerful things because once I started understanding that I was carrying stuff that wasn't even mine, it made it possible to let it go and to sort of return it back to where it or let it let it go to where it belonged, which was certainly not inside of me. Everyone has a perception of you, your family, your friends, your clients, but ultimately you're the one that lives your life. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Wow, what an interesting question. Um, who do I think I am? <laughs> <laughs> or some people say, who do you think you are? Exactly. Oh. I think I'm this white woman living in living in in a in a very secure, stable part of the part of the planet with a lot of good fortune and a lot of a lot of incredible opportunities that I have had throughout my life and who really values kindness over pretty much everything else and who also really values being like like being present being holding space for herself and for the people that she knows and has really come to look at like what I know in some ways who do I think I am is one of the things I definitely know is that I don't know everything and that I and I don't necessarily even know every aspect of myself that I will be a work in progress until I flipped this mortal coil and probably flipped into a new body and a new life that I will be constantly evolving. I will be constantly changing. I will be constantly learning and discovering. And that even if I think I know who I am, there are probably a number of aspects of, of this that I have yet to even understand. So I could give myself a lot of labels. You know, I could say I'm an empath. I'm an artist. I am a spiritual person. I am a teacher for EFT International, I'm an author, I am a mentor, I am a healer, I'm a psychic, 
I could give all of those kinds of labels, and yet I guess what I would say is, who do I think I am? I think I'm Jen. I think I'm an aunt. I think I'm a wife. I think I am a pug lover. Um, and I think I'm just a human being who is showing up in one of the wildest times in the, you know, like this is a wild time for human beings. Like we, we have such a confluence, such a perfect storm of all the things all happening at once here. I mean, you know, sexism is, and patriarchy and misogyny is all rising up to the surface to be addressed. Racism is all is rising up to the surface to be addressed. Health and structural systems and just the system and, and colony, you know, colonization, all of this is just rising up to be addressed. And I'm one of the human beings who happen to be born in this wild, wild time. And so I, I think in some ways I'm just, you know, I'm just another bozo on the bus who's just really just, you know, trying to find my way. I sort of have this image of myself of whenever I start thinking I need to take back the driver's seat and then I need to, I need to like be in charge and be in control, I really remind myself that I'm not, that I don't know enough, that I don't have all the answers. And I have this image of sort of like my higher power. I'm very devoted to the Blessed Mother in all of her forms and all of her many, many, many names. And I have this image of sort of like this, you know, divine source just kind of like picking me up, taking me out of the driver's seat, prying my fingers off of the wheel and leading me over the line into the back of the bus and setting me down next to a younger, more scared version of of like of me as we are all one and I have this image of I've got this um, really old uh, uh, orange shopping bag that I it was like from Whole Foods Market from probably like 15 years ago that's got like a pumpkin on it it's literally I'm staring at it as I'm seeing this and I just imagine this orange this orange shopping bag just filled with juice boxes and my job is to just go into the back of the bus and hand out these boxes and sit down with the little who are really, really scared and just kind of look out the window with them and just be like, hey, look at, look at the cloud over there. Doesn't that look like a unicorn? And just really like watch the scenery as we drive by, but not really try to, you know, not get too freaked out about all of it. So I really am just doing my best job to not try to think of myself as anything <laughs> bigger than what I am, but really sort of understand the magnitude of the universe and recognize my place in it. Um, many, many years ago, I was in Arizona, and this is something I write about in my book, but I was in Arizona right at the time that the stock market crashed, right before the, the Obama-McCain election. And we went to one of the vortexes there. And as we were hiking the vortex, I was praying the whole way because I had been told that the vortexes are very powerful and that whatever you set your intention towards is amplified substantially. And so I, I was like, I'm going to use this time the best way possible. And so I just kept on praying and I kept on praying for like, I just kept on saying over and over again like a mantra as I hiked, best possible outcome, best possible outcome, best possible outcome. And when I got to the very top, I got to the summit of Cathedral Rock, and I got up to the big, big red rocks. I put my hands on the rocks, and I sort of was like, you know, hi there, I'm here. And I, and I heard 
so clearly, like clear as a bell, so incredibly distinctly, I heard this voice come into my head that said, we mean you we no disrespect, but please allow yourself to be insignificant. And then what they showed me was the vastness of time, the vastness of this planet, of how, how insignificant this entire period of time is in the grand scheme of the evolution of the planet and how as humans we have this sense of ourselves as being so, so important and so incredibly big and we, we even like that we are destroying the planet. And they were like, you guys are going to, it's very likely you guys could destroy yourselves. But we, we, we are eternal. Like we will pass. We're, we'll get past this. You may not, but we'll get past this. And, and there was such an incredible relief for me in being, in allowing myself to be insignificant, to truly grasp how, how much of a, like a blip in the ocean of time my, I am and what I do. And, by no means am I trying to suggest that being insignificant is uh, an insult or like pejorative. Like, like it was, it was, it was given to me as a gift and a relief. And it, and and what it gave me was the freedom to just be like, I just get to do my little teeny tiny part. I just get to show up for my life and do the best I can, and that gets to be good enough. I like that answer. That's wonderful. Jennifer, thank you for taking a minute out. Before we go, I want to make sure that you let everybody know where they can learn more about you, what your services you provide, your book, anything related to your world. Where can they go? Oh, thank you so much for that question. So if you are interested in reading my book, Empathic Mastery, A Five-Step System to Go from Emotional Hot Mess to Thriving Success, you can go to empathicmasterybook.com to get a copy of the book. And to just get all the things, just head on over to empathicmastery.com. And if you are interested in learning more about EFT, that is eftinstruction.com. And in terms of what I do, I have a range of support from a lot of free offerings. I've got a free Facebook group where I run master classes every single month. I, I have the book, which, you know, for $9.99, you can go buy a, a, a Kindle copy of it. And um, there's also an audiobook version and paperback and hardcover. And then I also do groups. The Empathic Mastery Academy is just about to start up again in a couple months. I don't know when this will be airing, but as of this recording, it's going to be starting in, on September 29th of 2022. And you can learn more about that at EmpathicMasteryAcademy.com. And uh, I also do one-on-one, very intimate, very you know, private VIP work with other highly sensitive empathic people, mostly women, really supporting them in learning how to shine. And generally people work with me either sort of doing like a 10-week triage or most people, once they start working with me, we honestly end up working together for years. And so I work in, I, I offer programs, VIP programs for people. And I also run a number of groups, including my Fairy Godmother Apprenticeship, 
which I just started fairly recently, and it has been an absolute blast to teach other people basically how to be fairy godmothers, which, oh yeah, that was the other thing if you were going to say, who do you think you are? I think I'm a fairy godmother, actually. So thank you so much for having me on your show. This has been such a delicious conversation. Well, it seems like it's been more of a monologue than a conversation, but you have asked me such wonderful questions. It really has been a delight to be with you today. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, and music around the globe. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and until next time.